Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor. And Trish McGregor. And our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular blog posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. Trish's latest novel <laughs> is Skin Shifters. And Rob's latest novel is Tulpas. Our upcoming nonfiction book is called The Shift. Reports from the Mystical Underground. Our guest today is David Al Wilson. He's been writing and publishing horror, dark fantasy, and science fiction since the mid-80s. He's an ex-president of the Horror Writers Association and a multiple recipient of the Bram Stoker Award. His novels include Maelstrom, The Moat in Andrea's Eye, Deep Blue, The Grail's Covenant Trilogy, and many others. David is CEO and founder of Crossroad Press, cutting-edge digital publishing company specializing in electronic novels, collections, and nonfiction, as well as unabridged audiobooks and print titles. The emphasis at, Crossroads, emphasis at Crossroad is bringing back books that have been out of print, in which the author owns the publishing rights. To that end, David and Crossroad Press have republished many of our out-of-print novels and nonfiction books going back to the well, not for us to the mid-80s, more like 2011. Yeah. And quite a few of them can be found on the Crossroad Press website. Welcome, David. It's, it's great to have you. Welcome, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Okay, my first question for you, David, is one I've always wondered about. <laughs> How do you manage to have a full-time job, run a publishing house, and write? <laughs> I, Are there I have three to, of you? I have to say that I wish I knew the answer to that because sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. I almost didn't make it here again today because of the, the day job was just stretching and stretching, and finally I just told them I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, well, tell but, us exactly. What is your well, day job? I know it's computers, but... I've, I've been, for the last 15 years, I'm the IT manager for a government contracting company and also the security officer. Um, got hired way, way back, and they said, you can be the head of the IT department, and I am today still the entire <laughs> IT department. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, 250 people in this company. Really? Jeez. Oh, okay. Well, I'm busy. Yeah. I thought I you, thought John was busy. He also works for uh, as a as a contractor. John, are you now actually working? Well, for I was about to say uh, I feel the pain is that <laughs> when you're a team of one and they keep telling you <laughs> that you're going to get a team. Yeah. It. Yeah. It. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah, it <laughs> it it never seems to uh, uh, resolve. Yeah. In fairness, they never said I'd get to have a team. They just said I'd be head of the department. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. They were smarter than me. Does your job entail any tra travel in North Carolina? Well, I'm in Maryland right now, so that answers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this your hotel room and, you talked about? And beyond. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot of travel. We only have two offices: one in Maryland and one in North Carolina. Ah, okay. Oh, Get up here every once in a while. So, what's your writing schedule like, David? <laughs> when you get around to it? <laughs> when things are reasonably straight, and I I start writing. Uh, well, during the day, I'll write it in like patches during my day job. Sometimes over lunch. Um, but generally, I write from nine thirty or ten at night until it's time for us to go go to bed. Oh. Or I tried to. It hasn't really been happening much lately. But are you one of these people who who doesn't go to bed till four? <laughs> no, we we go to bed at eleven, but we watch another hour's worth of TV, and I have the laptop, and I try to catch up on um, email and stuff during yeah. that time. Yeah, Trish likes to write uh, late, and I'm the early bird writer. I get up at six thirty, and that's my best time uh, for 
writing after watching a little bit of news and uh, then getting right to it. Uh, um, what what got you interested in writing horror novels? Never, really intended, never intended to be a horror writer. Um, I took a course a long time ago from Writer's Digest magazine called Writing to Sell Fiction. Okay. And the instructor I got paired with was Jan Williamson, who had written something like 40 horror novels. And he, in, he invited me to participate in Howl at the time, which was now the Horror Writers Association. Mm -hmm. Introduced me to people like Dean Koontz, which was really cool. And there was back then a huge, huge small press. So there were magazines everywhere looking for science fiction, speculative fiction, horror. And I just kind of fell into it. I mean, I don't know that I really am a horror writer. I'd say about half my novels are horror. The one that came out today, not at all. So. <laughs> but what is the one that came out today? Jurassic Ark. Ooh. <laughs> Started what? as a joke. <laughs> you, you what? Do you, remember, do you remember when Trish and I wrote um, Remember Bowling Green? Yes, I do. And that was, that was kind of a joke book about Ronald Crump taking over Bowling Green, Kentucky. <laughs> and I thought this would be the same thing. I saw that guy Ham out in Kentucky had started the Noah's Ark theme park. And I saw he had little cutouts of dinosaurs you know, standing around in the ark. I thought, well, what if it was true? What if 6,000 years ago men and dinosaurs were all around and some crazy guy was building a boat? <laughs> started, started to write another joke book, and it turns out that um, there's a lot involved when you're the family that's going to survive and all the people you like and that are helping you build your boat, don't get to go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's just a lot of other stuff. So I think it, what it turned out to be was one of my best books ever. Ah. But that yeah. was unexpected. Just to, to clear up any confusion, uh, when David mentioned Trish, uh, his wife is Trish, and so <laughs> yeah. is my wife is Trish. So we got two Trishes involved. Okay, so what's the key to writing a successful horror novel or science fiction novel or whatever kind of novel you're going to do? For me, the key is making sure that you're writing what you feel like writing and not what you think you need to hit a market with or what somebody else told you to write. Yeah. Good advice. It's also, it's also killed my career because that's, like I said, I've written everything. The right <laughs> way like. um, I, I think keeping it real, writing about something more than just the... For me, there's two kinds of books. There's, there's books that are just stories, and those are great. They're very entertaining. But very, very seldom do I remember very much about it very long after I read it. And then there's books where people are reaching down to something that actually stuck with them or, or hurt them or some memory of their own that, that's real. Yeah. I think if you're going to be a successful writer, you have to learn to find those things and write about them at least part of the time. <coughs> My only nonfiction book that I've, well, other than the pie book, is one I've been working on for years called Writing What Hurts. Writing What? Writing What Hurts. Hmm. Yeah. That's my book on writing and memoir. <laughs> I'm going on a long time. <laughs> how long, how long, is, how long is it? How long is it? Is it? <laughs> I, I think I started writing that back just after I um, retired from the Navy, and that was like 1997. Wow. Oh. Oh. It just comes in bursts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what mainstream publishers were you uh, published with earlier in your career? Well, first was Pocket Books, mm -hmm. the uh, Star Trek novel. Um, I worked with White Wolf Publishing for five or six novels. Um, then there was one called Five Star that I wrote several books for. Mm. Kind of like all over the place. Then I wrote a Stargate novel with the other Trish. And we were published by um, Fandemonium over in Britain. Huh. All that so, was miserable. Uh, I hate <laughs> so what's happened with the publishing industry that led <laughs> you to become a publisher? Uh, it's always a question that uh, you know we're always puzzling over. <laughs> well, I didn't actually intend to become a publisher, even though I don't like the publishing industry. I just wanted to bring my own books out in ebook format. Since I was a web designer and an, an IT guy, I was able to do that. A couple of people like Steve Seville and, and Brian Kelly said, hey, can you do that for our books? Because I don't have any idea how to do that. <laughs> and I said, not for free. <laughs> the next thing I know, I was a publisher. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, we first you through Ed Gorman. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did all of. We thought we had done all of Ed's books, and then they pulled them back for a while. Some of them to go somewhere else, and we worked with Dominic Abel, his agent. Uh-huh. And then after Ed passed, then uh, he brought all of them back, and it turns out there were a lot more books than we thought. <laughs> yeah, he was prolific. Ed was. He was, but but he was he was always self-deprecating, and I don't believe he ever thought that he was successful which make kind yeah, of I don't think he did either. yeah he, he wrote uh, a lot of westerns i know and uh and uh, mysteries and so he he would uh jump from genre to genre it was our it was our first huge success story um when barnes and noble first started their nook they had a thing called nook first mm-hmm. kind of like a book club now uh-huh. they would do a big promotion and they sent it out in all their email notices and uh, his Robert Payne psychological detective novels sold something like $6,000 worth of books in, in a month. Huh. Never happened again after that, but he was very happy with that. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. And then the whole Noble fell apart. So. What, do, you mean that program did? They don't make, we don't make a portion of what we make. We make more money on Kobo now, I think, than we make on Barnes. Uh, Probably more on Google sometimes. Yeah. Uh. Our nonfiction book, Aliens in the Backyard, that did uh, fairly well with you too, didn't it? You are our very first success in print. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you're still in the top three or four books. I would have to go check the number for sales, but yeah, that that did really well. The one that um, and uh, David, uh, yeah, David, yeah, David provides. Uh, Royalty statements once a month, which is unusual. Usually, it's unheard of. <laughs> yeah, it's if you're lucky, you get one two to a year. For most uh, uh, publishers, sometimes uh, they disappear for a long time, uh, then they pop up. But uh, uh, but why I mention that is that we keep seeing sales of aliens in the backyard and uh, audiobooks, print sometimes, and uh, digital. Yeah, Kevin Pierce did a really good job on that also, and he he was just the perfect perfect storm guy for that book because he kind of has his own, his own non-fiction following that that buys things just because he reads them oh, oh really that's interesting yeah. he's he's done something like a thousand books now oh. <laughs> so is there some kind of organization they belong to the people who do the the reading of the books um there's probably all kinds of organizations that they belong to a lot of them are sag after actor Ah. But those guys are harder to get because they have minimum that they're required before they can use the money towards their right. medical and everything. Yeah. I think he's probably one of the most successful narrators ever on ACX. Because hmm. he'd get well, in early like we did, and he just did everything he could get his hands on. Huh. What, uh, what recommendations would you give to beginning writers other than to keep their day job? <laughs> Well, you've, got, you've definitely got to keep your day job because one thing that I've noticed lately is that I, I can't even keep up with the two or three authors that I really love to read. And there's so many books and all of them are being promoted all at the same time. And you're really, mm-hmm. your only hope is, is just like it always was, is that, you know, Stephen King mentions it or Neil Gaiman mentions it or some actor on TV is seen holding it. And everyone <laughs> wants to know what the book is. But beyond yeah. that, it's very difficult to stand out in the crowd. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, I unless you have a platform, right? Just keep writing and and uh, yeah. and keep pushing it and look for that that one in that you're going to get because the only way to make it is is to find that one moment when you're visible. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So, so we have to find somebody. Feeling. We have to find an actor to hold your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would be good. Yeah. But we have some actors that are narrating for us now, so maybe we'll look out. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it's hard. I mean, the writing. To, if you want to just be out there and have a book and say author next to your name and and do all the blog tours and all that, I, I don't recommend that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it's a hobby, and if yeah. you're going to be a writer, what you need to do is write. Yeah. If you ask, if you ask the successful writers how they did all that, and they didn't do all that. They just wrote, and then someone found the book, and then they took off. A couple of guys that I've been reading recently that I've never never read before, um, 
Stephen Graham Jones and S.G. Armstrong. Their books are just phenomenal. I don't what kind of books are they? Well, actually, actually, Armstrong writes Armstrong writes crime novels, and ah. he's, he's an African American African American author who writes really gritty, really honest books. I mean, the last book, um, Razor Blade Tears. There's two fathers, and one's a one's a white father and one's a black father, but their sons were married, and neither of them ever accepted their son. They never accepted mm-hmm. that at all. But then both of the sons are killed. So this whole is, is not only them trying to chase down the, the people that killed their sons, but they kind of grow together as friends and they kind of start to understand how they weren't there for their kids. And it's just a really good book. Hmm. Oh. That's the kind of thing. Is that one that you published? Did you no, publish that? Or? Sadly, no. That's a New York Times bestseller. It's going to be made into a movie now. Oh, okay. But, but two years ago, he wasn't anywhere near that. That's that's what I'm saying. You just have to you have to get the right book in the right hands at the right time, and it could take ten minutes on Twitter if something takes off the right way to change someone's career entirely. Yeah. And I just wanted to jump in, and that sounds very familiar with podcasts. You you have to be consistent and persistent, and mm-hmm. Ten minutes can make the difference. Yeah. That ten minutes of fame, and you're you're there. You hit the t- Twitter trending, and right. It's well, on. How did Joe Rogan get there, John? Consistent John? and persistent. <laughs> 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 and okay. and and it probably didn't hurt that he was on. Uh, 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 good Lord, what was the sitcom radio? Uh, He's a yeah, comedian. Well, he's on. He was on a sitcom, and then he did a Fear Factor. That didn't. That didn't hurt either. That was a platform to jump off of. But yeah, yeah if, you, if you've already got some fans, it helps with anything that you do. Right. I always people are always saying, "Well, what if I what if I put together a podcast or a newsletter, or what if I go on a blog tour?" I said, "Well, if you go on a blog tour and you get on J.K. Rowling's blog, that's great, and that's going to work. If you get on a blog tour and you go." a whole bunch of places where the only other people who read the blog are people who are also blogs on the blog tour. You're not going to sell the books. <laughs> I did one of those things one summer and I think I wrote 40,000 words worth of stuff to go into these 20 blogs. I don't think I sold 10 books. Yeah. Oh, so they, when you talk about a blog tour, that's where you do a guest post or something? Well, they put together a schedule and you go do guest posts, giveaways on a big series of blogs in a row mm. and it can work you guys you guys did that really well with the radio shows on aliens in the backyard that yeah. was one yeah. of the things that right. pushed that yeah, yeah that's true it never yeah. really quite worked as well on the second book which kind of made me sad yeah something about that uh the alien hook seems to uh it seems to work <laughs> get a lot of attention but the best so, way to be a best-selling yeah. author is to already be a best-selling author yeah. Right. yeah, be born yeah, into yeah. a best-selling family. Yeah. We had another book come out today, Dark Transit, by Michael D. Mercurio. And about 10 years ago, he was writing a New York Times best-selling submarine series thriller. And those still sell really well for us. But he wrote the first new book in 10 years, and it's 600 pages long. And it's about the son of the guy who was the hero in his main book. And he's, oh, he's really? sold like $2,000 worth of books today already. Jeez. He's catching up with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, what, what do you think is the future of mainstream publishing these days? I don't know that that changes very much. I mean, they, the difference is they don't really need the agents. Um, I mean, you kind of maybe need one to, to barter your deal or something, but they're not they're not selling. I mean, I talked to all these agents. A lot of the people that were big name agents are bringing stuff to us now. You know, really. I Publishers are actually sniping stuff off the indie bestseller lists and stuff, and then all of a sudden there's this new guy that that we already knew about, but they didn't. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we've got um, Richard Curtis has brought us some stuff, and uh, people that I always wanted to be my agent have brought me things now, <laughs> which, makes, which makes me think I don't want them to be my agent anymore because they're probably not having much luck. What do you think? I mean, are agents becoming obsolete as the middle guy? 
I think they've feared that for a long time. You and you've seen if some of them have started like their own company to do ebooks a while back. They started trying to charge their own clients for you know putting them in places. They're starting different business models. I think they're yeah. not making any money. Yeah. Or they're not making new money. They're still making money on their old clients. And if they're lucky uh, enough to have a big name client, then they're okay. I actually had a, a Zoom with a New York agent, I won't mention names here, who basically tried to sell me uh, the idea of, of paying them 10000 bucks to redo my website. <laughs> I mean, and then really? They, then they would take a look at the book. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can get somebody to look at your website for five hundred dollars. Yeah, somebody yeah. good. We're we're getting ready to redo ours hopefully so that we can do it again. That's one of the one of those questions you had about being a publisher and how you do all those things. That was one of the things we got way too ambitious for the way we were doing that website. And oh really? It had to be the thing to go because nobody buys any books from that website anyway. Yeah. Mm. We haven't updated that since probably last year or something. Uh, well, we we moved to a website where we just have like a, a list of all our authors and a blog with the new books in it and stuff so that we can mm. keep up how, did, how did you originally team up with David Dodd, your illustrator? That was that was actually kind of cool. And, and it, I'll tell you right now, he does a lion's share of the work, which is another reason why I'm able to do this. He has a day job and a publishing job, but he isn't right. Yeah. yeah. He is two jobs. I tell him, he, he's real good about it. When I tell him, I said, look, I'm not going to do anything. because <laughs> i got to finish this book. Um, but I met him because I started doing the old paperbacks, you know, the old horror, trying to find new people. And uh, he just emailed me out of the blue one day and said, you know, you might want to check this guy or this guy. And it turns out he's got this massive collection of paperback horror novels. He knew all kinds of stuff about, you know, the authors and who people liked and who people didn't like and we just started talking and started talking and the next thing I find out he's a database administrator and he was able to create a spreadsheet that in those days we needed something that would do the royalties for us uh -huh. and he made this magic spreadsheet that did that every month and so we found a program that does it for us but he does all the all the inputs of the pay payments he does all almost all the covers formats most of the ebooks and I do all the print and audio Hmm. Well, did he know about illustrating before he met you? I mean, was that something he did on his no, own? Look at his earlier covers, to what he's doing now, it's night and day. He, he just took it and learned how to do it. And I did the same thing with InDesign because we were paying someone 10% on every book that they did to do the, and we could never get them to keep up with us. So finally, I just said, look, send me a tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> it took me about a year before he finally said, Okay, these things that you're turning into me to look over are okay. You don't need to send them to me anymore. <laughs> now I do most of the most of the printing. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> Back to your own writing career. Uh, do you when you uh, come up with an idea? I won't ask you where your ideas come from. That's <laughs> that, <laughs> that's been said, asked too many times. Uh, but uh, do you start with an outline first? I try to, but I never make it halfway through an outline. <laughs> I'm guessing it's about the halfway point in an outline where something that I didn't expect happens. And sometimes I'll try to stop and do another outline from there. But usually I know where it's going. I like to know what the ending is going to be. Uh -huh. So I kind of work from the beginning and the ending, and then how I get there is not as important. Right. It used I to be, I used to write this, The Seat of the Pants, and I'll tell you it's frightening. My novel, Deep Blue, probably one of my most popular novels ever. I was probably 80% through that book and had absolutely not, no idea how it was going to end. Jeez. And then one day it just came to me, just popped into my head. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's great when that happens. Two hours later, I was done with that book. You know, when so you're surprised. I try to have an outline. Yeah. Well, when you surprise yourself, uh, you know, as you're writing, that's, uh, it's a good uh feeling that you're going to surprise your reader as well. So it's, well, here's one you guys will like because of the synchronicity angles and everything. But yeah. when I was writing a Midnight Dreary, which is the most recent Donovan to Chance novel, yeah, I was at a certain point in the book and it wasn't going quite right. And I knew I needed something and I was sleeping. 
and I was in a dream. And it's the only time this has ever happened. <laughs> I, met, I met the character Donovan DeChance in the dream. Wow. Oh, wow. And he was only there for a few seconds, and he only said one thing, and he was gone. He said, you forgot the cat. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right, because wow. his cat's not just a cat, and it was, it was the plot element that fixed everything that was the problem, and you know, I was able to wow. move on. Yeah. So that was uh, very weird. Like, yeah, that's great, though. But Yeah, like that, sometimes, you know, the, the characters just take over the story. You think you're doing it one way, and the characters, uh, you know, uh, start leading you in a new direction, but uh, the dream is uh, that's really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So what's Did he look like you had portrayed him in the dream? It, you know, it was it was kind of nebulous when I woke back up. I couldn't really remember that, but I know that I knew it was him. Yeah. Huh. which was weird. Yeah, <laughs> that is weird. See, I then told I, you one time. You said you you never had synchronicity. I knew you had to have had at least one. <laughs> well, I don't know that that's synchronicity. Is it? That's just that's, more. Of a, Weird dream experience. Yeah, well, and maybe a, telepathic. <laughs> question whether that uh, that character, how how real that character is, and uh, you created him, but uh, maybe he created you. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. If he created me, he's writing a really boring book. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we see Crossroad as a publishing model. Okay, a shift in the current paradigm of publishing. What are your plans for expanding? Um, our plans are exactly as we have always been. We don't have any plans. Um, <laughs> okay. Bounce from thing to thing. The other day we signed a guy and his wife who just have really done well on their own writing books and series. And uh, they just want to bring everything over to us and give it to us and not have to deal with the things that we do. Plan has always just been to get bigger and bigger to the point where we make enough money off of the little bit that we keep. Uh-huh. You know that we're doing okay and it i'll tell you what that pandemic year was i almost had tax problems that year because that was the year that audible gave us all those free codes but they paid for all the sales yeah that was i remember our audio uh, royalties were a lot better yeah another bump because we're doing that again now there were some left i waited a while so that we you know we get in trouble with them but i'm running through them again now mm. but uh yeah that whole year clive barker had his tv series come out and and all the books of blood took off. And wow. I'll tell you what, he's been a blessing. I, I have no idea how much money we've paid him, but it's in the millions. Jeez. I can tell you that. He has made more money than anyone in the entire company. Well, that's great. And we were lucky to, you know, to meet Simon Vance and have him do some of the Clive audios. I'll tell you the best moment for audio for me of all the things that's happened was one day that Audible did a sale and neither one of us knew they were going to do it. And he went and looked at his sales on uh, Magica by Clive Barker and he just sent me an email that said, bloody hell. <laughs> and I had no idea what he was talking about. I went and looked, he had sold like 10,000 copies in one day. Mm. How many? It was a lot. Wow. Yeah. Huh. But he's won every award there is in, in audiobooks and Clive's won every award there is in Horror writing and fantasy, yeah. so it was kind of a perfect storm at that point. Hmm. So, David, uh, about a month or two ago, we uh, interviewed uh, a book narrator Melissa Benson. I think she's worked. Uh, yeah, that's how we, she works right, with David. <laughs> right uh, on our podcast, and uh, she gave us some insight into the audio book business, but. Uh, could you tell how does uh, Crossroad work with audio narrators? How do you find them, and uh, what's the process? Well, that's kind of changed over the years too. We went with ACX when they first started out, so there's always been a big list of narrators up there. But when they started, 90% of those were just people with a, with a USB microphone and a computer. Uh -huh. yeah. They had the first idea how to narrate an audio book. I was lucky because my first book was done by uh, Jeffrey Kafer, who's also a, an engineer, and the two of us kind of hooked up the same way that Dave Dodd and I did, and we did all the early audio. So I always had an engineer I could take this crappy audio to, and he would take it. Um, but these days, we have, a, we have a big spreadsheet of all the books we've got, probably a thousand that don't have audio yet, up on a Facebook group, the Crossroad Press audio, audio book group. And uh, when we put our new books out, we put them up for yeah. whatever comes in. 
Hmm. Try to find someone yeah. that fits the book and the accent and age. We have a cat meowing here. I hope it's not your cat. (laughs) Makes me sad because I haven't seen my cats in days. Seen them all. So my the first uh, novel I wrote that uh, I had an audio book made was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and it uh, was uh, the I can't remember the guy's name now. The the he was an television show the fat man um i can't what think. yeah the fat man. The, <laughs> oh jake and the fat man yeah i think that was it uh but uh That's the know. show i don't know which actor you mean but um <laughs> robert, robert conrad the, the big heavy guy robert yeah. conrad yeah, yeah. Big, big heavy guy yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i know who he was yeah so uh at that time there it just didn't seem like there were too many uh audio books uh be, being made, it was just starting. But oddly enough, all these uh, Indiana Jones books—they have never been uh, come out as as digital books, as e-books. And uh, I approached uh, uh, Disney when Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm uh, to suggest that they they do that. The books were still in print; that they put them in as e-books. And uh, they, the the decision was to just take take the all the books out of print <laughs> rather than make <laughs> digital books you know, i think you've got to understand for, for a company like for a company like that even if you had a really successful audiobook it's not a blip in the ocean for them yeah they don't care. <laughs> right they buy all that stuff to keep other people from doing it that's why they buy it jeez <laughs> now you could have done really well if you'd ended up with like harrison ford yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> um, back in those days, it cost a lot of money to make an audiobook. If you went and bought one, I mean, when I first started listening, I could either go to the library and get whatever was there, or I could pay 45 to $50, $60 wow. on CDs or cassettes. If you bought cassettes, you could get to cassette number 13 of 18, and it would be bad. And then you couldn't hear the rest of it. So it was awful. The digital thing uh. changed everything. And ACX, you know, brought in technology, brought in home. home Studios and the home studios have changed everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I think most most audio is done that now. Most and, um, um, David, what, no, what do you see? Sure it was all done with the two at home. Huh. I am recording one myself right now, but uh, from uh, an Indiana Jones novel that was never published, and uh, it's I'm finding it. Uh, the job of recording it uh, <laughs> almost uh, more difficult than writing the book. <laughs> Wait till you go to edit it and make it, <laughs> make, make it meet the standards of, of anywhere that will publish it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and that's my job. And by the way, and by the way, it's Wilm Con- Conrad was uh, Jake and the Fat Man. And yes, he did narrate. William Conrad. Yeah, William, William Conrad, Conrad, and he Conrad. did yeah, he did uh, read Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So, oh, okay. oh, yeah, yeah, Robert Conrad. Wasn't I can see him, I can see the image of him. But I knew that wasn't him. <laughs> wasn't William Conrad also in that show Canon? Yep, mm. yep, it is. Yep, that's him. Okay. Very good, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you see that's for cool. the future of physical bookstores, David? I think that'd be fine if, if they just pay attention. I mean, honestly, the indie, independent bookstores irritate me, and I probably had this conversation with you before. <laughs> go on and on about people supporting them because they're independent bookstores, but if you come to them as an independent publisher, they will want to know, well, can we get it through Ingram at the huge discount, and will you take returns? Like, oh, no, really? no, you'll put us out of business. That's what... <laughs> that's why we don't do that, and they're just not interested in working with independent publishers at the same time, they want everyone to support them. So, but the big, the big print bookstores are growing now. I think, I, from what I've seen recently, and I, I'm guessing the pandemic had something to do with that also. Hmm. And I think people are tired of ebooks a little bit. Mm-hmm. I read, I read all three at the same time. I've got an audio book, an ebook, and a print book that I read different times, different situations. Mm-hmm. Well, I know people who used to be big readers. <laughs> Who now just listen to audiobooks. That's all they do. They don't mostly what I do. <laughs> yeah, ebooks for me, it's reading an ebook is 
kind of too much like work, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's there uh, on the computer, and uh, I'm kind of editing as I go. <laughs> as or I you don't want a computer; you want a Kindle. On a Kindle. <laughs> yeah. It looks just like the page of a book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where are you? Even down to the formatting. So. Yeah. Um, it seems to. I've been over and over. I keep hearing more about more and more about new hybrid publishers. But many, if not all of them, charge really exorbitant fees to publish books. Tell us how Crossroad is different. Well, I'll tell you how we're different. We're a publisher and they're not. If somebody, <laughs> is, charging, if somebody is charging you money to publish your book, it's Vanity Press mm-hmm. or very close to it, or it's a service. Yeah. And people will come to us, how much would you charge me to do this for a book? Well, we won't charge you anything, but we won't do your book either because that's not what we do. Um, uh-huh. Publishers pay authors. That's the bottom line of it. There, there should never ever be a charge to an author. Or, 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 well, I will I will say that if somebody wants a specific cover and it's beyond what we do, mm-hmm. and we'll tell them if you want to buy a cover, that's fine. This is what we did. Yeah. And the reason is simple: we just have to keep our overhead down, or we won't make any money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because but, I, I asked because we have a friend who just paid one of these supposed hybrids 5,000 bucks just to publish the book. Who's that? Philip Mary. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How many of your books with us do you think have made $5,000? You have a better chance of making $5,000 with us than you do with that place. Absolutely. They're going to present you with a book. They're going to put it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble maybe, and that's the last you're ever going to hear from them. Yeah. Yeah. You might get a good cover, and you might even get decent editing, but you can pay for those things on your own. You, you don't have to. I hate yeah. places like that. It's, it's a whole cottage industry now, but those are not publishers. And right. I, every time I find one that says they're a publisher and they're not, I call them out. Good. I mean, out. basically, to me, they're rip-off artists. <laughs> they are, and, and you know, writing has become such a big industry itself. Everybody wants to be a writer now. And all of those people have varying degrees of knowledge. You know, what's, what's right, what's wrong. And there's only so many people to explain it to them. So they get caught up in these things. And then they get angry. And we might actually lose great writers because they went with one of these idiots and quit. Yeah. I, try to, I try to prevent that when I can. <laughs> we can only do so many books. Well, how, how many... How big is your collection now of writers? It must be huge. How many what? How many writers? Yeah. Do we have? Yeah. Varies. I mean, we have worked with well over three hundred, but we've you know we've lost some and, and some have passed on. Um, I would guess two hundred fifty to three hundred at any given time. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. We've got somewhere around twenty six hundred live titles or twenty seven now maybe. Wow. Um, Nine hundred yeah. audio books. Um, in print, probably five, six hundred. We're working on that, but we've learned that the back, you know, reprinted books that still have paperbacks out there, or even reprinted books that don't still have paperbacks out there, just don't sell very well. Yeah. The what? The newer books, the originals that we uh-huh. There's a lot more now. Yeah. Um, so when you. We started with you. You were able to publish our books really quickly, it seemed. But now that's because they have so many more writers. <laughs> now it takes takes uh, longer, uh, kind of. Uh, so the the book I co co wrote with the the Navy guy, the diver, the book called Breathe. He asked me every week or so, "How's it coming along with <laughs> Crossroads?" You know, I wish I wish he would just ask me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and this happens all the time, and people get in the middle of these things. I really think that book might do well, and, and I'll be honest with you, I held off on it a little bit because of that submarine book I told you about. Oh, because Michael is is actually willing to read the books by other Navy people and push them to his thousands of readers. So we're trying to do a good job on this. I love the cover that the guy got. Absolutely love his cover. Yeah, his cover is good. So I think his I think that was going to do well. Yeah, and it probably is probably going to be one of the next two or three that we do. Oh, great. Yeah, I'll pass that on. You know, we, we, we figured it out that we, we can't get past four or five new titles a month. And we're now in December and January where I have to do taxes. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's just slowed down a little bit. I'm the only person who can do the print. Yeah. Now he's got a good survival story, and uh, it's not only one, uh, the most recent Brilliant. one, but uh, you know his whole career was uh, one survival story after another, being buried in mud 20 feet under, uh, tw- under 20 feet of mud and 70 feet of water above that, <laughs> and surviving. Uh, and a lot, a lot of not very many people can claim that. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Except Rick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even would be telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I had other questions for David. I can't remember now. Well, I mean, you don't have that sheet in front of you. Hey, David. David. Go ahead, John. John David, I have one. Uh, you okay. you said up front that uh, Dean Kuntz was a uh, major influence. Uh, how, and given your background in publishing horror uh how would you what how would you distinguish uh Kuntz from Stephen King uh what what do What's they different? is it the same genre or slightly different how do you see how would you those see guys that? those guys don't write a genre right those yeah. guys are a genre they write. They write stories. They're yeah. storytellers. Dean's books yeah. are a lot more formulaic yeah. than Stevens. Um, I'm not going to say that he's not as good a writer, but when we go back to what I said about writing what per- Steve does that more often. Uh, we lost, lost you for a second. What was that? A lot more books. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? We lost you for a second. What? Uh, what sure. was the difference? Sure. Yeah. I think the difference mostly is that um, Dean writes a lot of books, and uh, there's a lot of similarity and formula to it. I mean, I don't know that I can remember the last book that didn't have a golden retriever in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think Stephen's books are more, more true. I, I think they're a little bit deeper, but only in the periods when he's really writing well. He's had periods where he didn't, didn't really deliver the same way he does when he's really on. Yeah. But I can only remember three or four Dean Kuntz books that were really on in the way that the books that I love from Stephen King are. Uh-huh. Honestly, I think Peter Straub might be the best of the three. Well, and, enough books. And there's and yeah, and and that and that was the that was one of the connections that uh, struck me. Uh, early, yeah, so the the tal- the talisman. Uh, yeah, it was Straub. Right. Yeah. Talisman. Yeah. 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 Is Peter Straub still writing? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I've got a sweater that I bought it and I won it in auction at, um, at a convention a couple of years ago. His wife knitted for him for when he was writing his first novel. Wow! Put it up for this auction. I got this sweater that I can wear. That it's a little creepy, I guess. I don't wear it. But. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to tell tell Peter that I got it. Um, I, I don't know that Dean Dean Koontz is sort of an influence, but I don't know that he's really an influence on my writing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was nice to meet him, and he, when he was the president of the of the organization, he was so famous at the time. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of his books, but I would say Kathy Koja, um, Bobby Bright, Stephen King, definitely. Edgar mm-hmm. Allan Poe, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 I'll throw this out to everybody because uh, it it caught me off guard uh, this weekend. Anne Rice passed away. Yeah. I loved her books more than a lot of other people. I mean, a lot of people seem to think she needed an editor or she was too wordy. And there was a period of time when the books were just not great. You know, when she got all the religion. Right. But the Vampire Lestat, an interview with the Vampire, and the first three or four in that series are among the best books I've ever read. Mm -hmm. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, one time uh, we were at the Miami Book Fair and... I remember doing a signing right next to her uh-huh. and she had this huge line of over a hundred people. And some of those people, you know, would drift over to uh, Trish and I, you know, because there was nobody dressed, there. They were all dressed like vampires. <laughs> yeah, they were all dressed like vampires. <laughs> it was a culture for sure. Yeah. She, she created a culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She revived vampires and, and she changed the way that they're part of a story because it used to be the story is there's a vampire. 
Uh-huh. In our books, the vampires are the characters right. in a novel. Not the yeah. bad guy. Yeah. Well, not the bad guy or the good guy. They're just characters in the novel, and they just happen to be vampires. And I think that kind of started the whole urban fantasy genre. And which is didn't crazy. you write? Didn't she write an interview with a vampire in like two or three weeks or something? Sure, six weeks six after her daughter died. Yeah, so that was right from the heart. There's my six six degrees of separation from Anne Rice thing, because I wrote This Is My Blood, which was my first sold novel in <laughs> 21 days. Oh. Wow. I used it in a week, and I sold it a week later. <laughs> that may be a record. Well, the publisher never published it. I sold it to another publisher later, but then the Star Trek novel... It's funny because I had not written any novels except for that one that sold to a Canadian publisher who never published it. But because of that novel, I sold the Star Trek novel because I already had that on my resume. And I hadn't written the Star Trek novel yet either, but then I had the vampire novel and the Star Trek novel and White Wolf bought a trilogy. At this point, I'd only written one novel. God. <laughs> I could write any more at all or not, but I had contracts for four more. So. Jeez. That's how it all started for me. What? Okay, 21 days. Did you not sleep? <laughs> I was in the Navy, um, and I was out at sea. Oh, so okay. when, you're, when you're out at sea in the Navy, your day stops basically. At well, you faded I out. was a fairly senior petty officer at the time, so I had my own transmitter with my computer in it. So at 4 o'clock, yeah. I would go eat, and then I went into that transmitter and stayed there till midnight every night listening to Concrete Blonde, Depeche Mode, and a couple other things, and I wrote that book. Huh. And I had been waiting to write it. I wrote the story. The story was a candle in a candle lit in sunlight and it was in Star Shore magazine years before. But I sold a copy of it at the first World Horror Convention to Robert Eighteen Besong, who's a vampire collector from Canada. Hmm. He had the biggest Dracula collection in the world at one point. Jeez. He brought me the magazine back a couple hours later and says, This must be a novel. Huh. And uh, I started thinking about it, and I, I couldn't write it at the time. I knew I wasn't ready. I was just beginning. Mm-hmm. But uh, then I got out on that ship at that one night, and I had a little King James Bible that they gave us, those Gideon Bibles, little tiny green ones. Mm-hmm. I marked them all up, and I went through all the Gospels. And what I first called it was the fifth Gospel, because it's mostly written from Judas's. Mm-hmm. Judas and Mary Magdalene are the two voices of the book. So That's an interesting combo. Well, and and I've I've got to ask I got to follow that up by uh, have have you ever played or read the uh, source book for Vampire the Masquerade, Mark Ron Hagen? But I have been to parties where they were playing where they were warping it. Yeah, I think I wrote one of the most popular trilogies they'd ever had, and I think the reason for that is because. I fought them all the way. I went through their source books. I went through them with a fine-tooth comb and found some things that I thought were really interesting. And they got irritated every time I wrote them into the books. They said, you can't do this. And I said, well, your book says that I can't. What, what was your trilogy? <laughs> the um, Grail's Covenant. Okay. Dark Ages Vampire. Hmm. I, wrote, I wrote that, and I wrote the Lysombra clan novel. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a quarter of the Malkavian clan novel. And right. I wrote a novel for Faith and another one for... God, I can't even remember what the name of the other one. Yeah, that, uh, that one you wrote, uh, the Dark Ages clan series uh, that takes place in the 13th century. Uh, what kind of research did you do to write that one to uh, make it accurate and avoid letting modern words slip in? That sort of thing. I, I didn't really worry so much about that, but I did... Um, a lot of research on Paris because it happens on an island in the middle of Paris that I didn't mm. even know existed. Huh. Mm. So I had to go do some research. Um, the, the Vampire Dark Ages trilogy, I loved I loved writing that. And I know that, that was a, it was an international bestseller for a while. It was a bestseller in Spain and in Germany. Mm. I have fans, there's still people out there who use the name of my vampire as their character. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and, and, and I, I can tell you right now, I enjoyed playing in that environment. So, so we wrote stories in that. We 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 acted out stories in that environment, and yeah, it was yeah, awesome. 
awesome uh, environment to play in. So, yep. Play in what sense, dude? Uh, role play, game. yeah, role play oh, in that in that oh, sense. Okay. So, so we wrote our, own, you know, we 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 role played our own stories in that environment, and it's a yeah, totally very rich for for that uh, yeah for that genre, uh, yeah, to throw vampires in the dark ages and make them the main uh-huh. characters, like we were talking yeah. about earlier. It's 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 just yeah, awesome. You know, it's kind of fun with that whole thing stretching forward is that we now have published all of the clan novels in print and ebook oh. for Dark Ages and for the first one, the first groups of clan novels, because we were able to work out a contract with a company that has that now. And Richard Dansky, who is my Wraith editor at White Wolf, is one of our authors, and he has an original novel coming out soon. Oh. So it kind of played, played forward a little bit. Yeah. That's cool. Now, is, have you written any more books with your wife? We have written two full books together and several stories. Um, uh-huh. We wrote another book. It's in. A, it's called Room Fifty Nine. Was a series, and I don't think it was named something Davis. Russell Davis, I think, had this contract to write a book in this series, and he didn't have time to write it. So we wrote it together. And turned it in and he put it in under his name, but we wrote that together. And we wrote the Stargate Atlantis novel uh-huh. and a whole bunch of Edgar Allan Poe stories. Oh, cool. The purloined prose. That was fun. Now, okay, where, where, where were the Poe stories? Did you did Crossroad publish those? They were published first in a magazine. Um, uh-huh. I think it was Dark Wisdom. And then they've been published again. We, we have a book out just a an ebook and it's called um, a murder of no, not a murder. what is it of ravens oh what is it trying to think of the name of the book i don't know we wrote a book <laughs> together and it's all it's all edgar Allan poe stories because she wrote one called what would poe do wwpd that was supposed to be in another book and didn't get in and then uh we wrote some together and then i wrote a different one and i'm trying to it's like Seriously, a ravens or something like that? What's the collected novel for ravens? <laughs> I don't want to type while we're while we're talking. I'd go look it up. <laughs> but anyway, that's out there in an ebook. So we we did that together, and I think they might also be in my book, um, Inner Musings, where I have oh, an wow. entire book of stories that I collaborated on with other people. Oh, cool. Yeah. Huh. That was fun. So what are you working on now besides Crossroads? I am working on a short story based on New Year's because I'm thinking about writing a collection over time that's going to be based on all the holidays. Uh And I'm writing a novel called Tattered Remnants that's probably two-thirds done. It's a serial killer novel, but it's also one of my better things. And it's also been going on for so long. I probably have to go back and change what kind of cell phones they had in the beginning. <laughs> and then I'm writing one that I really love, which is called Into Nothing. It's called what? Into Nothing. Okay. And it's a, the idea was there would be 10 to 12 chapters. All of them would be at least 10,000 words long. Jeez. Every one of them includes a song by the band Into Nothing. And I'm writing the screenplays for each for each, each story, chapter, hmm. each chapter, wow. so that at the end I can present it as a complete project where it would be a novel, a band could be picked for the you know for the TV show. Uh-huh. <clears throat> TV show, by the way, the one city. But that was probably you know, twenty thousand words, something like that. I, I have something like twenty six books that are in some. It's some form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. We heard that um, Hollywood is uh, interested in short stories now, and I was thinking that they're probably the reason they are interested in short stories to make into TV series or movies is they don't want to read a whole book. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, get a you know a summary of it in a twenty-page short story, and then they can go from there. I think they're doing anthologies more. Um, Oh, really? I don't know if you watched American Horror Story, but every season of American Horror Story is a completely different story. Right. Except they managed to tie it all together, and then one of the last 
two or three three uh, series seasons was everybody came back together. All the characters, all the stuff you you loved about the failure. So it, it's just weird. There's so many people streaming now, and there's so many channels vying for attention yeah. that your odds have gotten a little bit better. Uh-huh. You yeah. still have to It's exactly what we talked about when we first started talking. You've got to find somebody to notice it. Right. But I know people that have TV series out now. Yeah, several mm. people. Yeah. Mm. Now, there's a lot of them out there with Amazon Prime, Netflix, and uh, Hulu, and everybody else making movies. Yeah, and every now and then one of my friends will say, hey, somebody picked up my story. Because <laughs> 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 so I've got a friend that I worked with here at this company at my day job, uh-huh. and his daughter came in and worked with us as an intern for a little while. Then she moved to Atlanta, and she's an actress. And I'd seen her in a couple of things. She was in that um, that weird thing with a, a guy from uh, – Scrubs, you remember that doctor from Scrubs that was the real jerk? Uh, no. <laughs> well, anyway, this guy was in a thing that was like Ed against evil or something like that. And oh. Stan against evil. She was in that, and I thought, okay, well, she's not going anywhere. Then, she's, <laughs> then we're watching TV the other night. We're watching Marvel's Hawkeye, and there's a LARPing group in the park, and she is the head LARPer, and she's asking Harp, you know, Hawkeye for his credit card oh my god <laughs> this thing she had a recurring role and she got to create c- costumes for both of the main characters oh. in the show so That's she's just like cool. suddenly as a marvel that, we suddenly have two degrees of separation from hawkeye and the avengers and, yeah. and that's cool and oh by the way john c mcginley uh from scrubs yeah, I think. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> we do. John, you got, you're, you're do you know that? Do you know that, or you got a Google machine? I was a know. huge fan of Scrubs. I just <laughs> couldn't think of his name. Yeah, but yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I asked John those questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is uh, this has really been great, David. I mean, I think this is the longest we've gotten to talk to you since we met you, right. which we haven't per- formally done yet in person. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking is the thing that I rarely get to do with anybody because if I take that time and you know, for long phone calls and stuff, something didn't get done. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I, I love to do things like this and I wish I could do them more often. Yeah. Then I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but today, you know, I worked really hard today. I wasn't really planning on doing anything tonight except for drinking bourbon. <laughs> I decided not to drink bourbon because I found 18-year-old Canadian whiskey instead. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. When do you go home tomorrow? Yeah, I'll be driving home early tomorrow morning and see the cats and get my booster shot. (laughs) All right. Hmm. Okay. We are are definitely vaccinated at our house. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, here too. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate. I know you had to. I know this was tough for you to do it, and we really appreciate your making time for us. I feel bad about missing the first. Oh, that's all right. Because I only missed it because I'm an idiot. It wasn't because I didn't have time or anything. I just forgot. We went out to go shopping. And we forgot something. We went back out to finish shopping. We were probably in the middle of Walmart when I went. Hey, what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. okay at least we got to do it today yeah that's worked out that's good. we really appreciate it yeah thank you very much and we'll send you the link when john john wins this going out um, okay everybody go buy jurassic art 
Okay. Jurassic <laughs> Art. Okay. And, uh, and tell people where they can get in touch with you through Crossroad website. Um, they, they can probably reach us through the Crossroad website. Like I said, it hasn't been updated in a long time. The best way to reach us is just crossroad at crossroadpress.com. Okay. Yeah. That way both Davids will see it and one of us will react. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. John, you got any more questions for him? No, well, no, I was just final fact check uh, for whatever reason, because it's one of my favorite comedies. Uh, when you asked about Joe Rogan earlier, I couldn't remember news radio for some reason. But uh, mm-hmm. Phil Hartman, uh, uh, and, well, now I've already forgot the uh, the star's <laughs> name from Kids from the Hall. Uh, yeah, awesome sitcom. Go watch that if, if you haven't. Uh, but yeah, that's where it, that's that's definitely was part of the reason that rogan has his uh audience but uh yeah and wow yeah awesome let to me ask hear. You I've, I've got go ahead i'm sorry yep let me ask you a question because you seem to listen to as much tv as we do okay <laughs> we just started finally after all these years watching six feet under oh, I we love it. Mistake? oh. yeah Six feet under. I have not Great watched show. that, but uh-huh. let me let me uh, let me throw one back to you. Uh, the oh, good lord, the pie maker. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, what, um, what is uh, what's the name of that one? Uh, give me a sec. Yeah, <laughs> it's the name of the pie shop. Is the name of the yeah. Uh, I absolutely love that show. Yeah, uh, one one not even a full season, but. Maybe no. maybe the best the best TV in uh, in the uh, in in the twenty first century. So. Well, we've been told we've been told that Six Feet Under has the best finale of any series in history. Okay, and that's I find right. It hard to believe because it's up against Sense Eight, which we watch. Oh yeah, love. yeah, we watch that. And that that finale was perfect. So. David, what do you, uh, if you, are you an Outlander fan? Did you watch that series, or have we you? We have been? not watched Outlander. Oh, but that's you good because that's stuff that we haven't watched. You don't have any <laughs> idea how much we have watched. Uh-huh. We watch everything. We're watching Yellowstone right now, which I yeah. expected to hate, and don't. And there's a character on there named Beth who is like a force of nature. <laughs> put, put, the Outlander says, it, says it's her uh, spirit animal. Yeah, Ooh. Outlander has some good season, really good seasons, and some uh, really weird seasons, uh, <laughs> like yeah. the third season, I think, where uh, things yeah, happen. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but yeah. the fourth season makes we're sense. watching now. Lots of really series good. like that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. Push, pushing daisies was what yes, I was trying that was to it. Yeah. That's the pie shop. That that's yeah, that is the the pie hole is the name of the of the shop, but yeah, pushing daisies is the series and if you haven't watched it you need to get on it because he can't touch people because he die they die if he touches them yeah exactly and well and 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 he has to touch them again within what 60 seconds or right and then they come back to life long enough to talk to you for yep yeah yeah pushing days that's that's a good good. we keep seeing those same the same actors and you know it's odd what else they've been in you know that guy was in uh stop and catch fire Mm, really series about um early days of the internet when you know People were fighting the Yahoo search engine was fighting Alta Vista and people right. were these startups and he was in this company trying to create a computer that would take over the world and then they had a search engine and all this. It's also a really good show. And that girl, the blonde not the one who's the the love interest, but the blonde girl mm-hmm. that works in the pie shop. Mm-hmm. She's been in everything. We see She's her all She's everywhere. We keep seeing her and it's like let me tell you one more thing this this is a tv show you probably i don't remember the name of it but this show was very much like that movie um the last starfighter this kid had won a, a video game and people came from the future back to get him because they thought he was the savior and he was going to save the world the universe so they, but he wasn't he was just a geek who played video games it's <laughs> a trickster joke. Yeah. But they took him into, the, and the whole point was that in the future, this guy had this, this African American actor, and I'll never remember his name, but he had um, cured herpes. 
but when he cured herpes, he accidentally cured everything. So the rich people <laughs> taking the cure and cordoned themselves off from the rest of the world who lived in, you know, the post-apocalyptic world out here. <laughs> and we went to a convention right after we finished watching this, and that actor who played that scientist was there. And I waited the entire convention for a moment when nobody else was at his table. And I went up and I put my hands on the table and I stared at him. I said, I'm here from the future. I'm here from herpes. Started laughing. I thought he was never going to stop. He said, I didn't anybody ever watch that. What was the name of it? I can't think of the name of it. But <laughs> darn. I will think of the name of it and I will email it to you. Okay, the guy who cured herpes, that, that, that could probably find it that way. It's really a good show. You've got a big guy named Wolf and, and a girl that are just awesome warriors. And then the guy who's from the future who's a geek. <laughs> just not awesome in any way. He does, in the end, save everything, but not exactly like they wanted him to. <laughs> that sounds cool. Well, we've got a lot of TV show to run. Yeah. <laughs> we don't watch too much TV. Clearly. Yeah. 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 Well, and well and my my favorite one is when you go to a when when you're at a uh uh when you're at a um uh, an event that they give you hello my name is tags, <laughs> you uh you 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 fill in Inigo Matoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. Hello my name is <laughs> And they go it never occurred to me, but now I'm going to do that every time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. All right. All right, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. <laughs> All right. That was fun. All right. really good talking was. to you. Great talking to you. All right. Take care. Yeah. You guys. Have a good Christmas. Bye now. You-